Kia ora, good morning everyone. It's um, great to be here with you this morning and to be uh, continuing on our series, E Whakarunga Mai Ana Kitu Atua, listening to God. Newt just loves to give me a curveful uh, sermon every time. I asked, I asked him, have, have you ever preached on dreams? He's like, no. So, yeah, exactly why this is happening. Um, for me, there is absolutely nothing more humbling uh, than having someone fall asleep in one of my sermons. Um, and it happens more often than you'd think, or maybe about as much as you'd think. Um, my record is around three to four sleepers, uh, not including slow blinkers. That's a, a separate category on their own. And there have genuinely been times while I'm preaching, mostly in, in the Baptist church, of course, um, where I've considered pausing a sermon to check someone's pulse, um, <laughs> which is super humbling, right? Um, now, when someone falls asleep in one of my sermons, they'll first enter into early sleep, <laughs> usually lasting about one to five minutes, where they are easy to wake and their breathing occurs at a normal rate, which can account for 5% of the total sleep cycle. After my bad rugby jokes and intentionally provocative intro, the sleeping parishioner will then enter light sleep as I cover the main theological arc of my sermon. Their heart rate will uh, slow, their body temperature will drop. Uh, this light sleep can last for about 10 to 16 minutes of the sleep cycle, and it's a time where uh, bruxism or teeth grinding occurs for those asleep and potentially for those awake as well. <laughs> Next, they will enter into deep sleep, where the body repairs and regrows tissues, builds some bone and muscle, and strengthens the immune system. People can withstand noises of greater than 100 decibels in the sleep, which is the equivalent to a jet passing over you at 1,000 feet, or Zara getting up in the morning. <laughs> this lasts 20 to 40 minutes. Sometime, uh, after around about 90 minutes, when ministry time is over and the, and the pack-down team are ready to fight each other, the sleeping parishioner will enter REM sleep, or rapid eye movement sleep, and it's here where your brain is most active and where the most vivid dreams happen. And according to multiple accounts from Scripture, it's here in this unusual subconscious space that people actually often hear from God. And uh, this may seem strange at first, uh, but the witness of, of the Christian Scriptures and the Christian tradition and uh, many Christian testimonies is that God doesn't just speak to our conscious minds, but He actually speaks to our unconscious minds as well. In fact, God does this quite a lot, far from being a niche way of God communicating. Dreams are, in the Christian tradition, a relatively normal way from hearing from God. The great th theologian Tertullian says this, is it not known to all, all the people that the dream is the most usual way that God reveals himself to humanity? The most usual way that God reveals himself to humanity. And this morning I want to ask a very important question about Tertullian, and it's the question on everyone's mind. It's this. Was Tertullian just a dream-loving hippie? Was he smoking something a little funny? Was he hanging out with his hippie friends in the commune at Motueka? <laughs> Charging his crystals in the Tasman moonlight? Or... Or is there something in what he's saying here? Are dreams actually a fairly uncontroversial way that God communicates with his people? Was this theological juggernaut justified in his belief that God speaks to his people through dreams? Well, perhaps Tertullian was talking about um, and thinking about the testimony of Scripture. 
Maybe he read the words of Job who wrote, For God speaks in one way and in two, though people do not perceive it, in a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on mortals while they slumber on their beds. Maybe Tertullian um, knew that about a third of the whole Old Testament is comprised through visions and dreams. Maybe he knew that almost every major biblical character in Scripture received a dream or vision. Perhaps he took seriously the words of Acts, where in the last days God says he'll pour out a spirit on all people, and that sons and daughters and young men and old men will see visions and dream dreams. Maybe he just read the book of Revelation. Or maybe Tertullian heard the testimony of others who have heard from God in dreams. Put up your hand if you feel like uh, you might have heard from God in a dream before. Interesting, right? Interesting. Uh, This is my good friend, uh, Reverend Sam Knight, who I met in Bible college 10 years ago. And when, uh, when Sam started Bible college, he actually didn't know what theology was, and he hardly knew the difference between Easter and Christmas. So how did he end up there? Well, for the first uh, 30 years of Sam's life, he knew absolutely nothing about Christianity um, or faith. He recalled, I've never been, I'd never been to church, never thought of anything spiritual, never really pondered the big questions of life, and never considered why I was on this earth. Uh, Sam had a car importing business um, and a young family when his wife came to faith at Sumner Anglican Church in Christchurch through an Alpha course. He had been to church a few times with his wife with no experience or knowledge of God, and um, he had heard that some people in the church were praying for him, which he told me um, made him feel a little bit annoyed. One night at 3 a.m. in the morning, he had a dream, and he said this, I remember in this dream being in the house of the friends who had invited my wife to Alpha. I was sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden there was this random God presence next to me. I'd never experienced this before, but his presence and peace was all around me. I knew I had met God. I am Sam, a Kiwi bloke, and things like this don't happen to regular blokes. I knew people would explain it away with all kinds of good arguments, but I knew that I knew God was real from that day forward. But that's not all. He had another dream. Not long after, he said, on a work trip to Japan, I had another weird nighttime experience. This time in my dream, I was driving a van through a forested mountain highway and I encountered the presence of God next to me. Nothing physical, just this presence that I knew without a doubt was God. I remember my chest leaning over the steering wheel as the van slowed to nearly a standstill as it veered off the road onto a shingle rest stop car park. This happened so slowly and peacefully, with the tires seeming to crunch over every single stone as it came to a stop. I just sat in his presence, me, Sam, the Kiwi rugby player, electrician, and car dealer, regular bloke, just sitting there in this dream thing in his presence knowing that God was real. Not long after that, Sam had an encounter um, with God in the shower. He had a vision from God where God told him um, that he was going to go to Bible college and study there full time. Sam didn't know what Bible college was, uh, and so he signed up for Bible college part time and ended up studying there full time. But Sam tells me that his faith was grounded in this encounter with God through dreams and visions. And Sam's testimony is astounding. 
But it aligns with the scriptural witness that God speaks to people through dreams. Perhaps Tertullian was aware that when we sleep, we're uniquely available to God in a way that we can't be when we are awake. We in the West are notorious for filling up our lives. In the view of ancient philosophers, work and busyness was viewed as a curse or something for the lower classes or slaves. In the early 1800s, it was seen as cool uh, to walk your pet tortoise around in the streets. Now, this very obviously is cool. (laughs) But it was seen as cool because it signaled that you had an abundance of time. Enough time to slowly walk your tortoise around the streets. But now, uh, busying ourselves with work is seen as a virtue. An article in the Journal of Consumer Research it notes that busyness and overwork, rather than leisurely life, have become a status symbol. Surveying, surveying thousands of tweets and even holiday letters dating back to the 60s, they found that not only do people now actively humble brag busyness, but they're genuinely viewed by others as holding higher status for it. People in Western individualist countries even walk faster in urban environments than collectivist ones, with one study noting that this is because an emphasis on individual achievement requires a greater concern with time than one that focuses on social affiliation, and so people move in a more hurried manner. And it's in the self-hurried, busyness-as-a-virtue world that God is trying to speak to us in. And this obsession with self-busying often leaves us unavailable to God. Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann says this, We children of the Enlightenment do not regularly linger over such elusive experiences as dreams. We seek to enlighten what is before us and to overcome the inscrutable and the eerie to make the world a better, more manageable place. We do well in our management while we're awake and we keep the light, power and control on 24-7. Except, of course, that we must sleep. We require seasons of rest and therefore of vulnerability, our control, flags. We become open to stirrings that we do not initiate. Such stirrings come to us in the night unbidden. Dreams address us. They invite us beyond our initiative taking management. So I think uh, Tertullian was right. I think dreams are a way in which God communicates to us. I think our scripture clearly demonstrates this. I think there's plenty of testimonies um, that demonstrate this. And I think it makes sense that God would take the opportunity to reveal himself in the space where we are no longer filling, ourselves, uh, filling our lives with noise. But I, I understand our Western impulses that resist the notions that dreams um, could be trustworthy or useful. We revert to thinking that the experience of dreams is just a regurgitation of um, uh, and remaking of our memories. And I get that. I understand that. I get the instinctive, rational, BS-detecting part to us all that resists the inexplicable and the non-rational. But the inexplicable thing really is that even for science-loving Westerners, we can't escape the fact that more than a large number of our scientific discoveries don't come from pure rational deduction, but from dreams. Dmitry Mendeleev, founder of the periodic table, recalled, I saw in a dream a table where all the elements fell into place as required. Awakening, I immediately wrote wrote it down on a piece of paper. 
That's how the periodic table came to be. Uh, the structure of the atom was discovered by Niels Bohr, who won the Nobel Prize in for physics in 1922. Except guess what? Came to him in a dream. He had a dream of electrons revolving around the nucleus like the solar systems. He woke up, tested it, boom, Nobel Prize. René Descartes, the uh, great French philosopher who still, um, whose thought still saturates ours today, had three dreams that led to his establishment of the foundational ideas of the Enlightenment, including, you might have heard of it, the scientific method. The great mathematician Srinivasa Ramajan discovered his approach to theta functions while dreaming. He said this, while asleep, I had an unusual experience. There was a red screen formed by flowing blood, as it were, I was observing it, suddenly a hand began to write on the screen. I became all attention. That hand wrote the number of elliptical, elliptic integrals. Uh, they stuck to my mind. As soon as I woke up, I committed them to writing. Google founder Larry Page recounts waking up from a vivid dream. He said, I suddenly woke up. I was thinking, what if we could download the whole web and just keep the links? And I grabbed a pen and started writing. All this to say, as much as we want to play down the significance of this unusual subconscious realm of dreams in the West, the unavoidable truth is that special things happen in, in dreams that have shaped the Western world and our understanding of it. So um, hopefully we can understand now. We can establish Tertullian wasn't a hippie from Motueka, nothing wrong with Motueka or hippies, um, but a theologically sound interpreter of the theology of dreams. Gold star from him, from Matt Maslin. But how can we use dreams as a way from hearing from God? How should we react to dreams? What should we do when we have a dream that, we, uh, that appears to us to be significant? And I've actually found the most helpful guidance to um, have come from the, Americans, uh, the African Study Bible, which suggests the following. Write out a significant dream so you do not forget the details. When Daniel received his dream from God, the scripture says, he wrote down the substance of his dreams. And many of the early stories with, um, that I've just told involve people writing down their dreams. So um, maybe keeping a dream journal could be a helpful way to see if there's any uh, recurring themes or, or messages in your dreams. Ask God to give you insight into whether your dreams have meaning and what the meaning is. God can confirm the meaning of a dream in, um, in many other ways. Often... Um, often dreams are more like parables than direct messages. They, they need um, to use an awful Christian cliche to be wrestled with. Make sure the interpretation of your dream is consistent with the teachings of the Bible. This is very important. God will not give you one message in his word and another in a subjective manner like a dream. You will not hear from God in your dream to cheat on your wife. You will not hear from God in your dream to harpoon a seal. God will not reveal anything to you in a dream in contradiction with the scriptures and the nature of Christ. Consult with a pastor or other mature and wise Christian, that rolls new and I out, I guess, um, asking for a perspective on their dream. Uh, spiritual directors are perfect for this kind of stuff as well. If the dream suggests something you will experience, give God um, time to work out the details of the dream. In other words, don't be too impatient and dismiss the dream because it didn't play out within the next 24 hours. And importantly, in humility, do not be discouraged if you find the dream was not a word from God. 
What we find in this, uh, exploring this topic of dreams is a God who is desperate to connect with and communicate to his people. A God who will speak to us in a number of surprising ways, at surprising times, and surprising places. And as I was putting this talk together, I found a, a new excitement in writing down my own dreams and listening to what God might be saying to me. But something to keep in mind is that the world of the Bible is a communion one, a communal one. So uh, when one person had a dream or vision in the scriptures, they would share it with others, and then the community would discern and come around the dream and embrace it. Uh, here's an example. This is um, from Judges 7, 13 to 15. Um, I don't have it on the screen, so you might want to um, close your eyes and immerse your world and um, immerse yourself in the world of um, this text. No sleeping, though. Um, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend about his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. In the scripture, you see first someone have a dream about um, some possessed carbs rolling through a campsite. Then you have someone else provide an interpretation of the dream of the sourdough, sourdough rolling through the campsite. And then you have Gideon overhearing these two people in his community speak about the dream, and then he worships God for the dream, and he relays it back to the community in order for the community to act on it. Do you see what's going on here? This is community in action. This is people trusting that God is speaking to other people, even though he didn't speak to them. Often we all want the dream. We all want the vision. We all want what Sam had. But the reality of following Jesus in community is that sometimes only one person gets the vision. Sometimes only one person gets the dream. And so we have to open ourselves to the possibility of hearing God through someone else's experience. Um, as most of you know, being a teenager can be brutal. Um, and one night when my wife Zara was younger, she had, um, I guess what you would call a rock-bottom teenager moment. Um, she had been struggling with her life, and um, one night she found herself feeling alone and isolated, and like she didn't have anyone there for her. And so she did what um, so many of us have done before. She cried out to God, but she did so with a very specific request. She said, God... What I need right now is I need a hug from you. And so uh, she sat at the end of her bed and she outstretched her arms and she counted down in faith that she would feel the loving embrace of God. And she counted down five, four, three, two, one. And when she got to zero, uh, she went in for the squeeze and she didn't feel anything. Nothing but disappointment, unmet expectations of encountering God. Not long after this, though, she saw she had a text on her phone, and it was a message from her older sister who was just down the hallway. And the text said, if you ever need a hug, I'm just down the hall. Sometimes we have to be okay with the fact that God uses other people. In fact, I think God actually does this a lot to draw us closer together as whānau, to help us become reliant on each other, Soon we're going to do prayer ministry and, and there's going to be a chance for, for everyone here to be prayed for. And you might not hear God. 
and it's okay because someone might hear God for you. That's how the church works. You can walk down here, you can say absolutely nothing. You can do absolutely nothing and someone might hear from God on your behalf. And so I want to encourage you all this morning, if you feel like you need to hear from God, come down here and give yourself the opportunity to uh, hear from God or at the very least let someone hear from God on your behalf. Let's pray. God, we, um, we love you so much and we're so grateful that you're a God that wants to communicate with us, that you want to meet with us. We thank you that you've given us this gift of community that when we don't hear from you, sometimes other people hear for us on our behalf. And we pray that when we do hear from you, it won't just be a, an experience that we hold on to and, um, and, and um, become reliant on, but actually that it'll be an experience that propels us out in the world, that propels us out to love each other in a deeper way, in a way that um, sees your kingdom established in this world. So uh, this morning, we come expectant to hear from you. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.